Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. And once again, I want to greet those who are joining us online. That funeral service for Charlie Eads was one of the most moving funeral services that I've ever attended. And honestly, even up to the time of the funeral, I didn't know who was doing the funeral. And I can really, I can remember driving to the funeral home in my car and just feeling really stressed because I was going to be so disappointed if I walked in and somebody that was totally unconnected to their family was doing that funeral service, like a, a chaplain from some other place. But when I got there, it was the home group that did the funeral, every single part of it. And it was as moving a funeral experience as I've ever had. That's the power of a group. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of one, to join one. If you got a Bible this morning, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. And just hold that ready for a moment, uh, because uh, before we talk about that, I'm going to put some verses up on the screen from Psalm 139. Uh, you heard on the MPTV announcement that we're a couple of weeks away from Night to Shine. Actually, Night to Shine 2020 is less than two weeks away, and we still need volunteers, especially on the buddy teams. And if you've ever served in this event, you know how powerful it is. If you've never served in this event, you're missing out on a great opportunity to bless someone, but also to receive a great blessing. I love these words from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David writes and says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I read those words and... Here's what I think. While I might not completely understand the mind of God when it comes to these words, I know that God creates all life purposefully, even the lives of those who are born with special needs. And I also know when I read these words that their lives, just like yours and mine, were created and began in the womb, and they continue day after day in this world according to God's will. Well, once every year at Night to Shine, we get to bring together these special folks who are often marginalized and dismissed by this sinful, fallen world that we live in, and we get to treat them like royalty. And we do this because one of the strategies for living out the vision of our church is to serve others. That's how we make an impact for Christ. We've got less than two weeks to go until Night to Shine happens on February the 7th, and just, I don't know any other way to say it, folks. We need your help. And so if you have not signed up to serve, if you are hesitant in some way to do that, then step out of your comfort zone. When you go home today, log on to our website on your computer, scroll down the homepage, click on the Night to Shine logo, follow the prompts, see the needs that we have, and register today to make an impact in someone else's life. You will not regret that decision. Two weeks ago, we began a brief three-week New Year study called New Year, New You. And more than anything else, what we're talking about in this study is the importance of our attitude because our attitude is everything when it comes to the quality and the direction of our lives. And I put these words from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 on the screen as we began a couple of weeks ago because I think they fit our need for a new attitude perfectly. Paul writes to the Romans and says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And note these words in yellow but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He goes on to say, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. The key part is that 
part in yellow, be transformed by the renewing of your mind because everything in our life begins in our mind, including our attitudes. In fact, I don't think it would be wrong to reword Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 to say this, be transformed by the renewing of your attitude because your attitude begins in your mind. Your attitude reflects the disposition and the orientation of your mind. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians and talked to them about how important it was that they live out the reality of their salvation in their everyday life, this is what he said to them. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires, to be made new. Now note this, in the attitude of your what? Say it with me. Minds. In the attitude of your minds. And so when we talk about this idea of new year, new you, we're talking about something that happens first and foremost in your mind. I want you to think about it like this. If you want to change your life in this new year, the very first thing you have to do is change your mind because that will result in a change of attitude. If you want to change your life in this new year, the very first thing you need to do is you need to change your mind. And you know what's really interesting about that? about that statement? This idea of changing your mind, that is the literal meaning of the biblical word repent or repentance. I'm going to put Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 up on the screen, and I'll show it to you. This is, these are words spoken by the apostle Peter. I want you to read this verse with me. Let me hear your voices. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The word that he uses for repent, and this is the same word every time we read the word repent in the New Testament, is the Greek word metanaeo, and literally translated, it means to change one's mind to change one's mind. Now, if you think about it on a practical level, it really means to change your mind in a way that changes your life. And you see that in the verse because Peter says, repent then and turn. Everyone say turn. Turn to God. Something that happens in your mind results in a new direction in your life. You changed your mind, and as a result, you turned away from your sin, and you turned to God. And so honestly, as we think about this idea of new year, new you, and a new attitude that begins in your mind, that begins when you change your mind, then the truth is maybe what a lot of us need to do in this new year is we need to identify the areas of our life, particularly in the way we think, particularly in our attitudes, and we need some good old-fashioned repentance in our lives. We need to change our mind about the way we think about life, about the way we view life, about the way we comprehend life and about the way we respond to life. And Peter says when, when we do that, when we repent, when we change our mind, then we're the ones that receive a blessing because he said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And then he adds that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I welcome times of refreshing from the Lord in my life. I wish it happened more often, and that has everything to do with me and not a single thing to do with God. It has to do with my heart and my mind and my willingness to live in obedience to God, it all begins with a change of mind that results in a change of attitude because the quality and the direction of our lives are determ is determined rather by our attitudes. You know, and we have to understand that because so many of us live under this false belief that 
the direction of our lives, the quality of our life is determined by our circumstances, or in other words, by things that happen outside of our el- ourselves and oftentimes things that are out of our control, but that's just not the case. You have the ability, I have the ability to determine what our lives look like based on our attitude. You have the ability to determine what your life looks like based on your attitude. Now, we talked about this when we began our series a couple of weeks ago. I, last week, I was out of the pulpit as Brother Ajay Law from India was here, and I appreciate so much those of you who were here to listen to him and support him. But we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with regard to other people. We talked about having a new attitude toward others in this new year. We're going to talk about this morning with regard to stress. We're going to talk about having a new attitude towards stress in this new year. There's no question that the world is filled with stress. And while life can be stress, more stressful for some than others, every one of us, at least on some level, faces stress in our daily life. And we need to talk about that. According to the American Institute of Stress, stress is defined as physical, mental, or emotional strain or tension. On a practical level, stress is what we experience when we feel like the demands of our lives exceed the resources of our lives. Stress is what we experience when we feel like the demands on our lives or the demands of our lives exceeds the resources of our lives. And stress can have incredibly negative consequences in our lives. It can lead to depression, to anxiety, to heart disease, to high blood pressure, to eating disorders, to intestinal and digestive problems, and you can go on and on and on. In fact, probably the simplest thing we could say about stress is that stress is a killer. It can kill your body. It can kill your relationships. It can kill your joy. It can kill your spiritual life. You can go on and on and on. Stress is one of life's great enemies. So the question is, how are we going to deal with stress day in and day out on a practical level? Well, now, there's some things that we can do that might help in the moment, but they won't help long term. Let me give you an example, and I'm going to need your help on this, your participation. I want everyone to take your dominant hand. For me, it's my right hand. Uh, Hold it up in front of you and take your finger and your thumb, your forefinger and your thumb, and and make about an inch space between your forefinger and your thumb. I'm not going to look at you because I'll be disappointed in how many of you are just sitting there with your hands in your lap. And I'll be reminded once again of the lack of influence I have in your life. But as you've got your finger and your thumb there, I want you, with about an inch, I want you to find somebody's head and frame it in that inch space, okay? This is so good because you have no idea who I'm looking at. <laughs> but I've got mine right here. And the count of three, I want you to put those fingers together and I want you just to say the word squish. One, two, three, squish. I feel better already. But I mean, how many times can you do that and still get that good feeling, right? (laughs) You can only squish so many heads, and then you're going to have to find something new. So what are we going to do? There's got to be a better way. Well, what we do as people of faith, and I hope and pray that that describes you this morning, is we turn to the Scriptures. We let God's Word be the resource we need to transform our minds in a way that will transform our attitude about stress. And that brings us to Romans chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible open there and you're able this morning, uh, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. If you're a guest with us again, we are so grateful that you're here today. Uh, We try pretty much 
every weekend, maybe we miss a couple along the way to make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service, and because we have such respect for God's Word, we stand together when we do it. And I've got a a little bit of a lengthy passage this morning, and I'm not going to go back and go verse by verse through this passage. I'm going to pull some truths from it, but listen to me. This passage I'm about to read today is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39, is one of the great passages in the Bible. And we should rejoice every time we get a chance to read it or hear it. So you follow along as I begin in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation awaits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, everyone say all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody should say amen to those words. Amen. You can be seated. We always ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Now, here's what I want to do, and I'm going to have to do this quickly. I'm going to glean some truths from this passage that we as believers need to remember whenever we feel stress begin to, th- to threaten our lives because here's an important truth about stress. Most of our stress is really just perceived stress. In other words, we're stressed because we tell ourselves the wrong thing and make the problems or the situations or the inconveniences of our lives more important than they really are. And so, having said that, I want you to consider this with me. Write this down somewhere. If stress begins with telling ourselves the wrong thing, then it stops when we begin to tell ourselves the right thing. 
I'm going to say that again because this is an important part of this message. If stress begins or stress happens in our lives when we tell ourselves the wrong thing, then it stops when we begin to tell ourselves the right thing. And that's what makes these truths that we're going to look at from Romans chapter 8 so important because these are the things we need to tell ourselves, remind ourselves of when we feel stress beginning to overwhelm our lives. If you'd like to take notes, write down next to number one, the first truth, and these are all so simple but powerful. God is always with me. God is always with me. Now, I know every believer understands this, sort of, knows this, sort of. I mean, if we were taking some kind of a spiritual exam and one of the questions on the exam literally said, is God always with you, true or false, we'd all get that right, right? We understand that on an intellectual level, but on a practical level, we don't always live this truth out in our day-in and day-out lives. Several weeks ago when we were in our stewardship series in November called God, Money, and Me, I referenced a book as an illustration written by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. The book was called Christian Atheist, and in the book he describes a Christian atheist as someone who believes in God but then lives their life as if God doesn't exist, and sadly, that describes a lot of believers today. He's the pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, and he makes this confession in the book. He says that for many years, he really was a Christian atheist because he did ministry as if it all depended on him and God had nothing to do with it. And as a result, he said, I was always tense, I was always irritable, I was always stressed, and no amount of success could bring me peace of mind. But a lot of us live that way. That's not just his confession. We live like we're, we're alone over here, and God is somewhere way over there in the distance. But that's not what the Bible teaches us about God. The Bible teaches us that God is always with us. The Bible says that over and over again. He's right here, right now. As we've got our Bibles open to Romans chapter 8, and we're worshiping Him through the study of His Word this morning, Paul writes about this in the passage we just read. Back in Romans 8, 35, he said, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ?' And then he gave some possible examples. And by the way, this is a rhetorical question where the answer is understood. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is no, none of these things. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You scroll down to verses 38 and 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, everybody look at me. What's he saying to us? He's saying to us, what's he saying to us? He's saying, because God loves you, and he does. The Bible says God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. He loves you with an everlasting love. Because God loves you, he is always with you. He is always present with you, wherever you are, whatever you're facing in your life. And listen to me very close because this is important. Because there are times in our lives when we don't feel the love of God. And some of us might be, un, might be hesitant to admit that, but I'm not. There are times in my life because of the circumstance in my life and where my heart and mind might be in the moment that I don't feel the love of God. I'm sure you're the same way. Because sometimes we don't feel the love of God, we need to understand that the best way to know or the best way to remind ourselves that God is always present with us is to make it a priority in our lives to always be present with Him. The best way to know, the best way to remind yourself, especially in difficult times when circumstances are collapsing around you and your attitude is really beginning to suffer and struggle, the best way to know or remind yourself that God is always present with you is to always be present with Him. 
And see, we get upset and frustrated with God sometimes because we don't feel his presence, but we're not doing our part. Now, we do that best by having a time each day when we spend time alone with him, when we, when we have a time of, of devotion and a time of prayer. I hope that's something that you do in your life, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening, that you spend some time alone with God. But we can also do it whenever we just choose throughout the day to pause and just literally say something like this, thank you, God, for being here with me in this moment. I welcome your presence. Thank you, God, for being here, here with me in this moment. I welcome your presence. In fact, I want to attach a little bit of an interactive element to each point in this message. And so we're going to say these words together. I'm going to put them on the screen. I want you to read them with me. We're going to say them together, and we're going to kind of get the feel for that. Here we go. Thank you, God, for being here with me in this moment. I welcome your presence. Now, you can write those words down. You can commit those to memory. You can say them a dozen times throughout the day, and that will help you be present with God. Or you can create your own phrase that's simpler or better than what I've written this morning. But the bottom line is this. If you're living your life with a genuine faith in God, if you're living your life with a genuine surrender to Christ, then God is with you all the time, and he's not going anywhere. Somebody say amen to that. He's not going anywhere. Right down next to number two. And that's a truth that we need to trust whenever stress begins to attack our lives. God is with us. He's not going anywhere. The second thing that we learn from Romans chapter 8 is that God has a purpose for all things. No doubt the best-known verse of that entire passage, that lengthy passage I read just a moment ago, is Romans 8, 28, where Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's a great verse. It's a great promise. Here's the simplest, I mean the absolute simplest way to explain that verse. When you give your life to Christ, and I hope and pray that you've done that, when you give your life to Christ, he becomes the architect of your life and your future. And that means he designs and directs and allows the details of your life so you can become the person he created you to be. When you give your life to Christ, he becomes the architect of your future. He designs, he directs, he allows at times the circumstances of your life, the details of your life, so that you can become the person that he created you to be. Think of it like this. Let's say that one night while you're away from your home, something tragic happens and your house catches on fire, but because of the quick response of your neighbors who see the smoke and the flames and the quick response of the local fire department, your house is not destroyed. There's a lot of damage, but your house doesn't burn to the ground. It's not destroyed. And so after you contact your insurance company and you get all the details of your policy worked out, you hire someone to come in, not just to restore your house, but also to take opportunity to do some renovation as well. And then when everything is done, at the end, you end up with a bigger house. You end up with a more livable house than you had before. And so even, the fire, even though the fire wasn't a good thing, even though it was something you would never want or never ask for, the company you hired to come in and rebuild and renovate was able to make something good ultimately for your family come from that fire. I know that sounds overly simplistic. But friends, that's the way God is at work in your life. God can take the fires, the trials, the troubles, the tragedies, the losses in your life that you experience 
and in a way that no one else can somehow cause them to become something good. And I'll be the first to say that it's difficult sometimes to see that in the moment. But this is the promise of the Scriptures. This reminds me of the Old Testament story of Joseph, my favorite character in the Old Testament. His story is told, it begins in Genesis chapter 37, and it ends in Genesis chapter 50 when the book of Genesis ends. And I'm sure most of you know the story of Joseph. He was one of many brothers, but he was his father's favorite. His father doted on him. Remember the Sunday school lesson you learned when you were a kid about Joseph and his coat of many colors that his father gave him? And his brothers, in their anger one day and their hatred of him one day, took him and they sold him to a caravan of traders, and he ended up becoming a slave in Egypt. He was probably just a teenager when they sold him into slavery. They went back and told their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. They put animal's blood on his coat of many colors, ripped it up, and his father grieved deeply over his loss. And so here's Joseph in the land of Egypt. And while he's in the land of Egypt, he suffers through many years of betrayal and many years of disappointment and many years of suffering. But God is with him the entire plan time. God is working a plan in his life the entire time. And ultimately, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, which is to say he becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And in that position in Egypt... He was able to save his entire country from the effects of a disastrous drought. You'll have to go back and remind yourself of the story if you don't remember the details. But it wasn't just the country of Egypt that he saved. He also saved many others, including his family, because his brothers one day came from their home to seek food because there was no food where they lived. They didn't recognize Joseph. They probably thought Joseph had died many years ago. They had no idea that he had been sold as a slave into Egypt or the things that had happened to him. And he probably was dressed in royal Egyptian uh, uh, wear and probably was just absolutely unrecognizable to them in many ways. And ultimately, and I'm skipping over a lot of the details of the story, Joseph, if you remember, he reveals to his brothers who he is. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother that you sold into slavery. And they are scared to death that now, as this powerful man, he's going to exact his revenge on them. But do you remember what Joseph said to them? Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, I'm going to put it up on the screen in the New Living Translation. He said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for, say that word with me, good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know what that is, friends? That is nothing less than the Old Testament parallel passage to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. When Paul says, and we know that God works all things for our good when we love him, when we're called according to his purpose. This is what we need to remember. This is what God does. He brings good from bad. Look at this quote on the screen from Pastor Rick Warren. He says, God has a plan for every problem. He has a purpose for your life. And here's the important part for us. And he knows what he is doing. And the really good thing about this for us is that we don't have to understand all the details of God's purpose for our lives to be a part of it. We just have to trust Him. That's all we have to do. And so what we need to do, and this will be the interactive part of the second point, is we have to believe that the words of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 are true, not just for other people, but they are true for us. Because, listen, I've been a pastor a long time. I've talked to a lot of Christians, and I know this to be a fact. There are a lot of people, and probably a lot of you who are listening to me right now, who don't have a single problem believing the promises of God to be true for someone else, but you usually have a hard time believing them to be true for you. You know I'm right. Because I'm talking to you right where you live. 
And so the interactive part of this point is we have to believe this promise is true for us. So I'm going to put Romans 8.28 back up on the screen. And I'm going to add this phrase at the bottom. This promise is true for me. And I want you to read these words with me. And then we're going to read this last phrase together, okay? Here we go. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This promise is true for me. This promise is true for me. we got to believe that. We absolutely have to believe that, especially when stress starts to attack our lives. One last point, and i got a little less than seven minutes to do it. You think I'll get there? Just go ahead and say no right now because there's no way. I need to remember the big picture. That's the third point. And what I mean by that is when we get stressed, it's really important that we remember that this moment that we're living in where we're feeling all this stress is not all there is. The moment I'm living in where I'm feeling all this stress is not all there is. Because every moment in our life, while every moment is important, is just one drop in the ocean of eternity. And so we need to remember that. That's what I mean when I say we need to always try to see and remember the big picture. If something bad happens to you today, if you suffer some kind of setback today, if you suffer some kind of disappointment today, if some loss happens to you today, if you suffer some unexpected frustration today, you need to remember that it's not the end of the world because today is not all there is when it comes to your life in this world. We live for eternity. We keep our eyes on eternity. Here's how Paul expressed that truth in the passage we read. It's the very first verse we read. It's Romans 8 and verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, with the glory that one day will be revealed in us. Can, t- can, can today, can the moment I'm living in today be awful? Man, it can be. Some of us have been there. We've had some really bad moments in this life. But that's not where our life ended. Because we don't just live, our life is not just encompassed in a single moment in time. We got to keep an eye on the bigger picture. God has greater things in store for you than any victory or success you might experience today. God has greater things in store for you than any disappointment or loss you might experience in this moment today. Paul shared the same truth that we read there in Romans 8 and verse 18 with the Corinthian church. He just expressed it in different words. Look at these words from 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He says, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a mistake that a lot of people make with this verse. They read that verse and they think that's all about heaven. But let me tell you something. You go back and you read that verse in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's not just all about heaven. It's about heaven, but not all about heaven. What Paul is telling us is that we can't imagine all that God has in store for us, both in this life and in the life to come. And we need to hang on to that truth because we remember that as Christians, we don't just live in this moment because this moment is not all there is. We need to always try and see the bigger picture. 
for two reasons. First, because when we see the bigger picture, we experience a new kind of freedom because we understand that most situations, most of the moments, the bad moments that come into our lives or the stressful moments that come into our lives are not really do or die situation because that moment is not all there is. And second, because we eliminate stress when we see the big picture, because we understand that whatever's happening to us in the moment, all we can do is all we can do. That's it. We can't control most of what happens to us. We can only control how we respond to it. You know, I got to tell you that I, I was so thankful when 2019 ended because for me, from my perspective, 2019 was a miserable year. There were some really good things. I don't want to be too dramatic. There were some good, really good things that happened in 2019 for our family. But I look back on it from a perspective of ministry and church. It's one of the worst minute, it's one of the worst years that I've experienced in my life. And I was so thankful that it was over. But at least God was faithful toward the end of the year to kind of get my attention the way God only God can do. Have you ever been there? And just remind me that I couldn't control most of what was happening. All I could do was all I could do. And so that's what we have to remember. This moment is not all there is. Whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, this moment is not all there is. That God is always at work and he's got more for us because we live not for the moment, we live for eternity. And so here's the interactive part for this point. You know, sometimes I have a lot of Bible verses memorized because I've been in church since I was a baby in the nursery. And I have them memorized in every Bible version you can imagine, from the King James to the New Living Translation. But uh, sometimes I just, I don't, I don't memorize the entire verse. Sometimes I just memorize portions of it. I want you to think I'm a lazy Christian. I do have a lot of Bible verses memorized completely. But for example, Roman, or excuse me, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, one portion of that verse that I always think of is this. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when I feel like I'm all alone in the world, that's all I need to remember. Just that portion of the verse. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Philippians chapter 4, 8 is a great verse where Paul writes and says, uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever, he lists all these wonderful things. And then it gets to the end of the verse and he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's all I need to remember. And so when my mind gets starting to get filled with fear or, my, or doubt or negative, ugly kinds of things, then this is what I say in my mind over and over again. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and that puts my mind in the right place. Well, let's do that with one of these verses. I told you that Paul communicated this, this final truth to us in Romans 8 and verse 18. He communicated it also, communicated also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, this is what he wrote to the believers in Corinth. He said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And so here's the phrase. I think this is all we need to memorize today because I know most Christians say, I can't memorize things. Here's all we need to remember. Four words. What God has prepared. And so when you feel stress starting to claw at your life, when you still feel stress starting to overwhelm your life in some way, 
and you, you begin to think that what's happening to you in this moment is a do-or-die situation, it's a life-or-death situation, everything about your life, the success or, your fail, or failure of your life is all captured in this one moment in time, you need to see the bigger picture, and here's what you just need to do. You need to stop and think what God has prepared because God has more for you than just what you're experiencing in this moment. What God has prepared. Say that with me. Let's say it three times. What God has prepared. What God has prepared. What God has prepared. I'm going to let Brian and the team come out and we're going to close. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to return to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew that we began all the way back in November of 2016. When we get back there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to see the religious leaders are plotting to put Jesus to death, and we're going to go through the brutal part of Jesus' life where he was murdered, where he was beaten and brutalized and murdered on a cross. And we're going to culminate that study on Easter weekend with the resurrection. I've learned so much about Jesus in that verse-by-verse study of Matthew, and one of the pictures of Jesus from Matthew that is very, very special to me is found at the end of Matthew chapter 11. It begins in verse 28. We'll put the words up on the screen, and this is what I want us to, to end with today because I read these words, and it becomes so clear to me that it's not the will of Jesus for any of us to live with stress. Look at what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Two times Jesus uses the word rest. He goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two times he uses the word rest. Here's the word rest in the original language of the New Testament. It's the Greek word anaposis, anaposis. And literally it means a cessation or an intermission. I love this idea of an intermission. When you're feeling stressed, Jesus says, come to me, and just let me call a timeout. Just take a timeout in your life. But not, not just to pause. We need to take advantage of that timeout to do these things. We need, to, we need to go forward in the slide. There we go. To remember these three things, which is what Paul tells us in Romans 8. God is with me. When we take that timeout, we just think about these things. God is with me. God is at work with a purpose, and God has more for me than what I'm experiencing this moment. It's not the will of God for you to be overwhelmed with stress in your life, and you don't have to be. I have no interest in stress management. I'm interested in stress elimination. How about you? And God gives us the plan for that. We just have to trust him and do our part. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity I've had to share from your word with these folks today and all those joining us online. You know the reality of everyone's life here. You know what each person is experiencing, the good and the bad and everything in between. I pray that these biblical truths will be cemented in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is the divine teacher of all truth and we'll remember them when stress begins to overwhelm us. I love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.